impact, income, and influence. How do you go from being a struggling carpet cleaner that barely makes $2,500 a month to founding Billion Dollar Body and doing $1 million in your first year in business? That's part of what we're going to cover in this interview with Nicholas Barely. From there, he went on to found Billion Dollar Brotherhood, which is the premier men's group for health, wealth, and relationships. He is a phenomenal business coach. He gives so much information in this interview. It is wide-ranging, but it covers so many things that can help you grow your business. Enjoy. Impact, income, and influence. It's the three things that are most important to entrepreneurs today, and that's what this podcast is all about. If you're a coach, consultant, author, blogger, YouTuber, creator, or entrepreneur who believes what they do can change the world, this podcast is dedicated to you. I'm Steve Warner, and welcome to Impact, Income, and Influence. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to Impact, Income, and Influence, the number one show for monetization on the internet. My name is Steve Warner, and I am joined today by Nicholas Barely. Nicholas started off as a carpet cleaner. He was hustling any way he could. He, at one point, bought a $4,000 espresso machine to make lattes at a garage sale. He hustled and hustled and hustled, and then he had a huge breakthrough with Billion Dollar Body, which now has become Billion Dollar Brotherhood. He is an absolutely amazing entrepreneur and one of the most genuine, powerful male leaders I have ever met. Nicholas, welcome to the show. Steve, I appreciate it, man. And for everyone listening right now, a few years ago, I was 60 pounds overweight, which I'm sure we'll get into. And I didn't have a podcast or some type of social media or someone reach out to me with some type of ad on YouTube to be able to transform my life. It was just one person. And from multiple angles, think about this. And my life was changed for the positive in just that one moment. And years prior to that, it was changed to the negative for just one moment. Those types of moments, more on the positive side, will be had here today, especially if you stay at the very end. So I'm excited to do that. Steve, I'm expectant. And if everyone else is expecting as well, we're gonna have a great time. We are going to have an amazing time. So kind of take us through that. Like what was tell everybody has those negative voices, right? We've either got someone in our past somewhere that we took as a negative, and it crushed us a little bit. Tell us about what yours was. And then I want to hear the positive because that's what changed you. Totally. So everyone does have negative voices. And if not, then they're probably a psychopath because you have good negative voices as well. Right? If you're going to go to the edge of a cliff, there's the negative voice that says, don't jump off. Right? There's two fears when you're born. My son's nine months right now. The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Most fears after that, all fears after that though, are learned. Most of them keep us from living, not keep us from dying. So a little side note there. And for me, yeah, I was, I was in a messed up place. My parents didn't, I didn't have a perfect family. And so I speak mostly to other guys that didn't have a perfect family either, or they had a perfect family and they're still jacked up because they grew up thinking they had to be perfect or they were perfect and they had to keep the standard. So it's so interesting how people think that I grew up with a great family. I don't have any problems. No, like you have problems as well. Just they'll relate with other people. I grew up in a broken family. My parents split up when I was four. I was in daycare from zero to two. And I was in preschool from two to four. So I had this mad like separation anxiety. In third grade, I had diarrhea every single day. I don't get to share that too much because I had so much anxiety at school because I was left everywhere. 
Like I, I just was dropped off places and didn't know what the heck I was supposed to do. At seven years old, I wrote my first suicide letter. I remember telling my family, dude, if you freaking hate life so much, I'm the problem. I'm the only reason why my parents fight. That's what I thought. And I was with my mom. I had to hate my dad because my dad was the person that she hated. So if I liked my dad, then my mom had this issue around it. And I just wanted to be nice. So I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, my dad, blah, blah, blah. And then I'd be with my dad. And my dad would be like, oh, do you know that your mom makes me pay to even see you? I'm like, what? Like, that's a jerk thing to do. I, I remember the moment we were riding my dad's truck. And I remember him telling me that. It's like, man, like, that's such a rude thing. I didn't know it was called child support. And it was like, what you do. And so I grew up in a very dysfunctional family in that way, yet with so many positives as well. And I'm just saying some of the negatives so that people could see, man, like, oh, I, I had that too, or I had that same exact thing happen. One of my biggest things that I wanted was approval from my father. I love my father. Me and my dad are really good friends now. Yet I had so much pressure on me to try to get that approval from my dad that at 13 years old, I remember being in my bedroom, my dad would constantly come down the hallway. He'd go through the kitchen, down three steps into the garage and out the back door. And that's where he'd smoke and drink. And at this point, like this, people knew it wasn't the best thing to do. So that was a place where he'd kind of hide it from my stepmom. And so I'd be out there. I'd kind of have to act like nothing was going on as well. So I remember just thinking, what is the one thing I could do to get the approval of my father? Like I legitimately pushed myself to get hurt in sports just because I saw my dad looking, but he just wasn't proud. I remember being on motorcycles and just jumping bigger and bigger and bigger until I'd crash because I was just like, I'm right here. Like, when will he go? Oh my gosh, great job. You're amazing. So I'd push myself, push myself. And this was that moment again. And I sat there and I thought, what's the one thing that my dad want? I wanted to be a professional motocross racer because really my dad wanted that and his dad never supported him. So my dad always bought me the motorcycles and all the things he ever wanted, but I never asked for, which is a very interesting thing for baby boomers always buying all the things like everything they would have wanted to give it to their kids. And they expect the same exact reaction out of their kids that they would have had, even though they were the ones that really, really wanted it, never got it, had the desire. And so it would have been amazing for them. And when we don't react the same exact way, they get upset, frustrated, think that we're ungrateful, even though we never asked for any of it in the first place. So it got to this point where I said, dad, I want to be the best motocross racer in the world. thought that's what he wanted. Dad, I'm, I want to get tutoring. I want to go on travel. I want to do all these things. And my dad looked at me and I thought this was like the moment, like the movies. Son, you're the son who I'm grateful and well-pleased in, all these things. He's like, you'll never be the best. And it crushed me. I was like, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. Because truly deep down inside at this point, I, I didn't believe in myself. And that's what led me down the journey to be 60 pounds overweight. I got addicted to video games. I took all that motivation. I put it into a whole different life online. 365 days played on one game, 10 hours on average, even while going to school. I quit wrestling. I dropped from a 3.3 GPA to a 1.8 GPA. I went to summer school every single year just to be able to graduate. I had no clue what I wanted to do with my life. My number one thing that I wanted out of life was taken from me, motocross. It's gone. If you don't ride, you're not going to make it. So I had no reason to live. I had nothing to do. I was depressed. I became overweight. I would sometimes not take showers for two weeks at a time. Like this is ridiculous. I was so insecure from my body image that I'd wear a sweatshirt every single day to school, even during the summer, 110 degrees outside. I thought, oh no, I'm not hot. No, this feels comfortable. This is great. No, I was insecure about it. I had to wear logos on my t-shirts every day because I was so insecure because I had man boobs and you couldn't see like the man boobs through the logos. Like that's what I had to do. I used to tape down my nipples every single day. 
but back before pasties were a thing, right? I should have known that. I used actual tape and like taped them down to try to look, make myself not look as fat. And it, I was consistently driven by these insecurities. And so it was just this one moment where finally some kid came to school and he came with a bag of fruit and he dangled this bag of fruit down and he started eating it. At this point, dude, I was on the cinnamon roll chocolate milk diet. I was drinking chocolate milk in the summer and hot chocolate in the winter with a huge cinnamon roll that's like the size of my head. And I remember seeing this guy and I was like, what the heck? We eat orange chicken for breakfast and lunch. Like that's what we do in high school. Why is this guy eating fruit? And just think about this for one second as someone listening. It sounds really dumb for me to be afraid to say, hey, why are you eating fruit? But maybe put it in the context of if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't reached out to Steve yet, you know, you can learn something from him, but it's vulnerability. And think about for me, me being overweight, everyone could see my problems. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't eating correctly and everyone could see it. Whereas all these people addicted to pornography or addicted to all these other things, alcohol, they could just do it behind closed doors and no one would ever know about it. I had all my insecurities laid out there for the world. It's like, I work out every day. They're like, no, you don't. <laughs> And I remember sitting there and I had to ask for help. Like it was almost like this bridge of like putting myself out there. I could have been rejected. What do you know, fat kid? Like whatever. Pulled his bag of fruit and he told me, I hired a trainer. I'm doing a boxing competition. So I need to be at peak performance and need to weigh in at the correct weight. And that almost gave me like this glimmering hope. And I realized in that moment, looking back now, there's two types of people. There's one type of person that knows everything. This is very common in today's day and age. They know all the things. They know email, they know how to break through, they know all about nutrition, and they just don't ever do any of it. But they know it all up here. They think they do. And they think that just knowing it all is good enough. And that's the people that I like to work with as well, is because I'm really good at getting people to do things, apply the things that they know. But I was in this other state, which was I was motivated, but I didn't think that I could change my situation. Like I looked at now reading Arnold Schwarzenegger's book, who was in a place where he was in the fittest part of his life. And he used to cover up every single good part of his body and only expose his calves. I covered up every single bad part of my body and only exposed the good things like my hair and the angles that fit right. And I used to wear my shoes. I was so short that I used to put my heels on the back of my shoes. So it looked like I was taller in pictures, but it didn't look like I was standing on my tippy toes. I was hiding everything about myself. The difference was, is he had embraced himself, one, and two, he knew he could change it. He knew he could grow his calves. I didn't know I could lose the weight. And so I realized in that moment, I was like, ask for the help. It was more than just losing weight at that point because I didn't have anything to live for. But there was something inside of that that spoke to me, which was the fact that I could be a higher performer. And that's all he said to me. I went, left there, copied the bag of fruit. I went home and like, mom, I need, I need this fruit. Like I need to do something. And six months later, I lost the 60 pounds. That was the starting point for me. The thing that I got my power back, I went back and connected with my dad. I hadn't talked to him in three and a half years since he said, you'll never be the best. I was ashamed. Like right. in my family, if you were, if you could pinch an inch, so you grab your stomach, you get an inch. And if you could pinch anything in between that, you're fat. So I was fat. But not only was I fat, I knew I was doing the wrong things. I was ashamed of what I was doing. And I hid from any pressures. And right now we live in a world where there is no fathers. And even the fathers that are home, that 30% of homes don't have a father, by the way. And even the fathers that are home are passive and not real good fathers anyway. And here's the thing about fathers as a little side note. Fathers are just leaders, ultimately. So when a leader shows up in, a, in someone's life that didn't have a good father figure, they look at them as masters. 
like they're trying to rule over them. The number one thing that they, comes up in their mind if they haven't had a good father is don't tell me what to do. Someone says, hey, do this. Don't tell me what to do. That's the number one way right there to know. Am I living in a mentality where I didn't have a great father or a father figure in my life? And again, that doesn't have to be from some father being gone. There's lots of fathers home. They're just not there. They're just not present. They're not actually leading. And so that transformed my whole life forever, Steve, that moment of working myself first, then got me to connect with my father, then got me to put myself out there again. It then got me to start pursuing passions. It then got me to go to an event where I met my wife. My wife and I got married a year later. It then got us to start our first business together. And if I wouldn't have first peeled that first thing, like I, I know at our events that you've been to, Steve, at BDB Live, I spoke about that so often people say, what am I supposed to do? Like, what am I supposed to do with my life? I want to do something really big. And let's say they want to be a philanthropist. I'm like, awesome. Philanthropist is like over here. And there's like a lot of things that probably need to happen to get you to that point. So then it's what's, what's in front of you. And so often we, we hear like, for me, it was, I needed to focus on my health and myself first. And I didn't know that, but I just did it. And I was stuck in limbo. And when I did it, all of a sudden I like reconnect with my dad, reconnect, found my wife, all these crazy things started happening. I kept peeling on those layers and I wasn't in my dream business in my first business. You said I was a carpet cleaner. Before that, dude, I joined network marketing and I, I try to be, I try to go out there and sling coffees and I failed in all of it. I lost everything. I was driving my wife in debt. I even went back and tried to be a professional motocross racer. Most people don't know this for a whole year. I drove us in debt. I rode four days a week with no job and no prospering business. I was making about 750 bucks a month for my business. And it got to the point where I had nowhere to live. I had to tell my wife that we got kicked out of our place and that we had no place we'd get approved for in all of San Diego. And I sat there defeated and I said, this isn't going to happen. I'm selling the bikes. I'm getting rid of all these things that aren't taking care of my responsibilities. And I'm going to go after the dreams that I have. But each one of those things, taking action on them is what led me quickly to where I'm at today. And I'll end it with this before the next, next thing that we're going to go into, Steve, is that I just wrote this down in my stories today. One of the top regrets of people out there before they die on their deathbed is I wish I pursued my dreams and aspirations and not the life others expected of me. When I wanted to lose weight, my family thought it was amazing until I wouldn't eat the food with them. Then they were like, this is so annoying. Why are you doing this? I even got made fun of by a family member when I was lost the weight. I took off my shirt for the first time. They go, oh man, you look emaciated. You need to work out after I just lost 60 pounds, just cutting me down. When I went to church for the first time, they thought it was amazing until I actually wanted to travel and help people. When I wanted to get married, they thought it was cool that we were dating until I wanted to get married at 20 years old with no job. Then they're like, oh, maybe you should get a job. When I didn't want to get a job and start a business, they all thought that it was stupid until I went out there and did it. Now my family's lost hundreds of pounds because of my example. I didn't stop. I've been married for over eight years now, which is so wild to think about. They're like, oh, I love your relationship. It's so amazing. And now our business, like you just saw this last weekend, Steve was a part of it even. Like we sold like 500 and something thousand dollars in a weekend, not including what we normally do in regular business stuff. And now it's like, now I'm helping my dad in his business. And it all started from back then going against the grain and not living the life that everyone else expected of me. It's too freaking short. You don't get brownie points in heaven from somehow arriving to the grave without ever scratching the car. It's very true. So 
There's um one thing I want to point out, like you have, there's so much richness in that story, but a few of the things that I want to point out, when you started losing weight, when you started going to church, when you started changing your life, everybody, it's really easy for people to be like, oh yeah, that's great. Until it starts to affect them. Right. And the minute they get affected people around you, unfortunately they get not offended. Isn't the right word, but they get uncomfortable. Triggered would be a good word. Trigger would be a great Cause they're not word. doing it. Right. And so, it, points out the so it stretches them, dude, because they're like, why am I not either you're right and I'm not doing it, which means that I'm wrong or they already know that they should be doing it and they're not. And you are, this is what we call crabs in a bucket. And the first thing that I've always done, no matter what I've gone into is I've dropped the old friends that are not pushing me forward. I did it with losing weight. I started getting around other people, started hanging around different people. When I went to church, I had one friend that went to church. That was it. I was like, I want to get around better people and you are the one person I know. I legitimately, I almost regret this one a little bit. I just never talked to my friends again. I just went and hung out with these other kids because the other kids were not helping me get anywhere further. When it came to business, the people that didn't support, I was like, well, cool. I'm going to go jump into this higher network of people because you'll always be plus or minus 10% of your current friend group. A lot of people are nostalgic about their high school friends and they feel so connected and obligated and all this stuff. I'm like, that's just not me. Well, that's, I'm with people that want to run quickly, and I'm here to support and give happy birthdays and go to the wedding and all these things for all the other people, yet that's just not the way I live life. So I've always uprooted crabs that are pulling me down because, again, life is too short. If somebody, if you're out there listening to this and you're like, well, how that seems awful hardcore. Here's the thing. The minute you start to change, if somebody starts to pull you down, realize that it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with them and their insecurities. And you won't, you don't have to have a conversation where you're like, I never want to talk to you again. Very quickly, those people will stop talking to you because you make them uncomfortable. This happened with me when I started investing in real estate. It happened with me when I built my first business. It happened with me when I built my second business. All of the people that were around me, we would go out once in a while for dinner still, and there wouldn't be much to talk about. They say, oh, what are you doing? And I would, I would be real excited and share with them what was going on and all the people that I was meeting and the things that I was doing and where I was traveling. And a lot of times they would just be like, oh, oh, that's nice. Do you, uh, I, and they wouldn't have much to say. And we probably, I mean, I still see them on Facebook once in a while. I actually get messages almost every week from somebody that's like, how do you do what you do? I would love to do that. I got yeah, and I think what you're touching on, like, just to put a bow on this and, and I think we've beat it pretty good is that ultimately the people are just trying to do the right thing. And when I started looking at it back in the day, I used to get kind of upset and offended thinking that they didn't support me and all these different things. And usually those are our own insecurities coming out. But when I started looking at it as, man, you know what? They're trying to be as helpful as possible. They've tried running a business and failed, or they've tried taking a risk and they don't see that running a business is the best way to get there. They've tried diets and they failed, right? Like they were in my position being hardcore and they're like, oh, don't do that. Like you need to be more lenient. And so they have your best interests in mind. That's just where you create boundaries around relationships, right? It's not like you're never going to talk to your family again because they don't support your business. You just don't need their approval to run your business and you guys can talk about other things. So boundaries inside of relationships are really big. It's actually what creates freedom in relationships. And if people don't know where they're at inside the boundaries of relationships, then they either do one of two things. They're either one, not ask for enough, 
like your best friend in the world and they never ask you for help or any anything you're like i would i would have helped you move that furniture you're my best friend that's number one or two they always ask for too much because they don't know what part of the relationship they're in and what the boundary is so then they're asking you to rent them a hotel room and give you their food and if they could eat everything in your house and you're like this person's so annoying no the person's not annoying you haven't created a boundary so that points to personal responsibility, which I know you are huge on. I think this will circle it back. What happened? How did things change for you? Because you said there was like that one moment, you started dieting, you got in better shape. What was the thing that really set you on the path? That's a really good question. It might be different than what people would think because there's a lot of things that help set me on my path. I do believe that my father and what he instilled in me, I'm so much more grateful now than I was back in the day, right? I'm even looking at a picture right now of my father on my, on my computer and him holding my motorcycle. And I just remember all these things I learned. Like I remember when I was racing motocross growing up, the things that he instilled in me were things like when I would crash, if I didn't break a bone and I could physically ride, he wouldn't allow me to leave after crashing. He'd make me go back out on the track and do one good lap. He's like, for two weeks, as you rest up and heal, you're going to be thinking about how you crashed. And that's going to be in your mind when you come back, and it's going to clog everything. He's like, I need you to go on the track, just do one good lap, we'll pack everything up, we'll, we'll bandage everything up, and we'll go home. And I consistently always left with a win. So over the two weeks, I only thought about the fact that, oh, I went and did that jump again. Oh, I hit that turn again, that section again, as long as I could. And Steve, you know this about me. I've always been one that says, hey, you're not allowed to move on to the next business idea until you've created some type of breakthrough and win in the one that you're in. And then you decide afterwards whether you're going to do it again. So that's where it first started. I also had a very strange moment that happened to me when I was 18 years old that I had never been to a church before. Like I said, my parents didn't go to church. I thought church is where your, the women went and the guys stayed home and like watched TV in the morning. That was what I thought growing up because that's what my dad did. My stepmom went to church. My dad didn't. And so even when I was in school, they used to ask you, like, are you Christian or Catholic? That's what they asked me when I was growing up. And I was like, I don't know, like, which ones drink? And they're like, Catholics. And I was like, oh, got it. We're definitely Catholic then. So I remember growing up, I was like, we're Catholic. I had never been to a church in my life. I just thought those were the only two options. And so all of a sudden, 18 years old, I was super, I got fit. I lost the weight. And I was looking for something more. And I ended up meeting who's now my best man. He's now built a business as well, Alive and Free, that does about 300 and something thousand dollars a month, which is amazing to see him and his wife. And he, I, he was at this thing called a small group. I thought it was like where bands played in practice. Like apparently these are where church people get together and read books and crap. So I show up there and I was in this place where I was like, I wanted to learn about this stuff. I was like, why do people open this damn book called the Bible all the time? I'm like, when you read a book, you read it and then you're done. Why do they like open it up and look at it and then close it and then open it up again? It was the weirdest thing to me. So afterwards, they baited me to come back with, hey, we'll give you a free Bible. I'm like, I don't even know where to find these things. I didn't know they gave them out on every street corner. I just thought, well, I don't know where to get one. So I was like, I'll come back then. So I came back and and after that moment, I don't know, like I just made a different decision in my life where I felt like I legitimately got like a new heart and a new brain. My parents, my friends, they'll all tell you everything changed for me in a moment. And I know there's lots of people that, oh, lots, of, lots of assholes that go to church actually. And I know there's lots of people that don't 
know anything or don't feel anything. They don't feel purposeful. Divorce is the same in church. But for me, dude, everything shifted, not because of church, but because I had this relationship and this connection with God that I had never experienced before. That was the biggest transformation to ever happen to me because that gave me a whole different heart, whole different perspective. I didn't like serving people, hated it because I wasn't working on myself when I was serving people. That's what I thought. I mean, I was an athlete. If I was teaching someone how to do a sport, that was me not practicing. I didn't want any part of that. Whereas everything shifted for me. I ended up going to 13 different countries. I went to Bulgaria, Turkey, Greece, France, Scotland, London, South Africa, Mozambique, Mexico City, all these different areas. And I was just going to the poorest places. Didn't care what people thought. Didn't care what people wanted. I was hugging sick people. Like I was doing all the things that you shouldn't do. Uh, we found a tribe in Africa that had never seen a white person before. And really for me, man, that was when I sat there and I started thinking, is love and helping people a skill? And I saw all these people that were so loving, but they had no money to be able to help people. Like they, they physically couldn't go to these countries. They couldn't afford the flight or the stay. I thought that was the dumbest thing ever. I was like, that's really stupid. Like you should be able to figure out a way to do this. So I sat there and I was in this group of about 1,200 other kids that were all zealous, growing, and wanting to help people. And I, I sat there and I thought, you know what? I don't, I don't think love and helping people is a skill. I think it's like a heart thing. You know, it doesn't take like, you're not building a system. So I thought, well, I, I really like serving people, but like, I really like achieving. This is what I've done my whole life. What if I went out there and built a business and then I could send like 1,198 other kids out to go help people? That's a lot more impactful than me because loving isn't a skill, it's a heart. So little did I find out afterwards that some of the poorest people in the world actually have a lot of money. They just have no purpose. Give these people in Africa a little bit of money and a little bit of food. Like they're pumped, they're dancing all day. All these people in America got all the money, but they're poor. And I was the one that could get in these situations. And I was one of the only people that could get in these rooms and be the light to these people and help them find that purpose to come back alive again, to be able to show up for their families, show up for themselves. So I literally still am serving the poor every single day and I didn't know it. And so that transformation for me led me on the journey of business. Ended up getting married to my wife. I was 20, she was 18. I thought, I'm going to go kill it. I've killed it in all these other areas. I'm going to go kill it here. And I freaking failed, dude. I sucked. I held two events every single week for a year. Half of them, no one showed up to. I think my biggest one was maybe like 11 or 12 people. I did have one time where like 50 people came because I flew in like a big speaker and no one did anything. Super embarrassing for that speaker and myself. I ended up failing in business, driving my wife into debt and had to go back and become a carpet cleaner for my dad, which was pretty embarrassing. And for two and a half years, I carpet cleaned for my father. And part of that was because he got into a bad accident and and in that, I've lost my purpose again. And I think this is something for the people that have been in it for a while. I was so deep, far gone. I had been to the events before and I had failed. I had had mentors before and I had failed. I was so deep away from the identity of who I was, that zealous person, that I just went back and started golfing and doing all these things where I could feel progress, but it wasn't actually taking my responsibilities. People can write this down. Where you find your purpose is where your responsibilities and your passions overlap. Golfing was a passion, but it never was going to take care of my responsibilities. My goal was to play senior PGA tour when I was like 60 years old. That was the goal, but it was never going to provide for my family. It was never going to impact people I wanted them to, wanted to impact. It had limited income potential. These were things that I did not want. So I remember just sitting there and I was in carpet cleaning again. And I remember going to an event, you know, the decisions that we make every single day, they shape our destiny in our life. And the, 
it's a free event with one of my good friends now, which is so interesting, Nick Unsworth. Free event. I show up there and it's 30 bucks for parking. And I'm like, dude, hell no. I'm not paying $30 for parking. So I dropped my wife off at the front. I go park on the curb. And I sat there for like five hours waiting for my wife, thinking that me saving the money, 30 bucks, I thought that I was like schooling him. I was like, bitch, like, look at this. Like I kept that 30 bucks and now she's in there. Not, I thought that the 30 bucks in my pocket was more valuable than the people and the content that I was going to learn inside of that room. And that's why I was a freaking broke carpet cleaner. And that's, that's where I was at, dude. I was stuck, broke, living in a one bedroom apartment, 400 square foot. My wife didn't even believe, didn't even know if I was ever going to be on board again with building a business. I just thought if I could just speak the lingo, I'd be happy. I, my wife would meet these business people and they'd be like, whether you think you can or can't, you're right. And I'm like, dang, you're so right. Like, that's so awesome that you even remember those quotes. Like, I just wanted to speak the lingo. I had no vision. I was totally bankrupt in my energy and, and my vision. And if anyone's been there before, if you haven't, you just haven't been in business long enough probably. And if you have, then you understand those moments. And if you're stuck there, maybe my life can be a testament that you don't have to stay there. It's like, like though you walk through the valley of shadow death, I love that quote so much because it's like says through. And that to me is what I've always thought of is like, though I walk through, like not stay stuck, sit through anything that's hard means like at some point I'm going to go like through the other side. And uh, hopefully my life can be a testament of that. So I w- there are two things that I want to bring up from that. The ne- I mean, what changed for you? What changed from living in that apartment and being not sitting on the curb, not paying $30 to go in and actually get the value? What not changed? that long ago either. I know. It's crazy, right? Yeah. No, I know exactly what changed. So I'm sitting there, carpet cleaning van. My dad's about to come back to work. I'm sitting there doing the same old thing. I'm playing app games on my phone. I'm golfing every single day. It's pretty bad. Cheap golf course and just made friends golfing every day. My wife is interning for a health coach for nine months for free. Didn't make any money. She's working in a massage department for 900 bucks part-time. We're having to talk on the phone all the time. And I was literally living the life that I said I would never live. And I'm sitting there in my carpet cleaning van and I'm on the side of the road. I'm dumping. Like, this is what you do. You clean all the carpets, dump out all the water. And I had this time to reflect. And there was two things that really came through my head. One in that moment, one that now when I look back. The first one that I had was I started asking myself, I thought that life would be different. I thought that maybe my wife would become rich because she was hot. I was like, dude, my wife is so freaking sexy. How are people not buying health coaching services? It didn't make any sense to me. I was like, can't she just show her body and people give her money? And she even thought that as well. She did some modeling jobs and did get paid for stuff like that. But it it wasn't ultimately what we wanted, but I was confused. It's like, why are we not getting speaking opportunities? Why are we not getting opportunities for things to happen to us? Why are we not going viral? I made videos. Why am I not going viral? And I realized that it just increased anxiety and stress on myself. And I started asking myself, sitting in that van, I said, what would happen if I just took responsibility for this? And I didn't ask that exact question I had a quote come through my head that someone had said to me, which was, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. And I had been so scared in that moment to ever think that because I thought, whoa, you know, success isn't about me. You know, it's about other people. Like, it's not all my fault whether things go right or wrong. And and even if they went right, like, I can't take the 
that positive result or the glory of that. And I just asked myself again, like, well, how's that working for me? Not good. So I legitimately got thinking grow rich and I wrote down my statement. I was like, I want to make a hundred grand this year. And the year before that I made 21,000 and the year before that I made $19,000. So this was a huge jump. I read think and grow rich. I made my money statement, which was super uncomfortable because it was all about money. I wrote down what I was willing to do, what I was willing to give up, all those things. I read it every single morning, every single night. And I decided everything I was going to look at, if it was meant to be, it was up to me. I was going to look at it through that lens. Now looking back as well, I realized that all superhero movies are full of freaking crap. They say with great power comes great responsibility. It's BS. No, it's when you take great responsibility, great power comes. I noticed, and they've proven now, that by taking responsibility, it takes decreased stress, not by decreasing the amount of responsibilities that you have. Taking on the responsibility gives you the clarity because now you're not expecting something outside of yourself to do something for you that you cannot control. You're taking back into control the things that you want to see happen. So I started taking that down. I started just writing out a to-do list. We now call this the BDB rituals. And I just started writing down a random to-do list of all the things I want to do every single day with the goal to make $285 a day, or I would, not, I would work till 10 p.m. Because I knew I needed to sleep, get back up. Mind you, I was still carpet cleaning. I made about $20,000, $21,000 from carpet cleaning that year, and I grossed over $100,000 in sales. And I did that through that exact formula, finally taking responsibility. Every single day, I actually wrote things out. I got rid of the app games. I got rid of the other crap. And I was making money from all these sources. I was selling things on Craigslist. I was remodeling homes. I was putting in carpet jobs. I was doing carpet jobs on the side. All these different things. Plus, I was training in health coaching. And I saw that the training in health coaching company, though, from this discipline, had done $67,000. Zero profit. $67,000 in sales. I got to go out to a couple of meals on the company. Uh, for people that don't know, $100,000 your company does not make you any money. And so I sat there and uh, that's when I, that was the first deciding point for me. My wife then went to an event and this might be really good for Steve because I know that Steve does coaching and consulting and all those types of things. My wife went to an event. I was still carpet cleaning. And at this event, they pitched another event. So she calls me. She says, honey, I really want to invest in this thing. I, I really want to get involved with it. And it's $5,000 and it's an event six months from now. But we get on a call one time a month before that as well. And I was sitting there like, wait, you're going to, you, there's an event that you're at for 750 bucks in Vegas, plus ticket, plus hotel that I couldn't even go to because I'm carpet cleaning and providing for everything. Hello. And in six months, there's going to be another event that I can go to as well with the same people that are at the current event but a smaller one. Like I was like, in my head, I was like, this is so dumb. Like that doesn't make any sense. And also realize like I was paying off like $25, $100 a month of my credit card working my ass off. Like I was in debt and I was like chunking away. Like, oh, in like 50 months, I'm going to be out of debt. Like this is where I was at. 5,000 bucks on a credit card would have been insane. I always ask people, do they think that was a good investment? And everyone tells me, of course it was. Look at where you're at now. Like this picture right here, you only get if you speak at Funnel Hacking Live in front of 5,000 people. When I spoke on stage with Brendan Burchard and all these other crazy people. Look at where you're at. Look at what you're doing. Look at where you live. Look at what you get to do. No, dude, that was dumb. I was carpet cleaning. I didn't have any money. I was making like $21,000 a year. That was 25% of my entire paycheck for the entire year, not of extra money that I had. That was all going towards my car and my gas. And we only had one car and we lived in a tiny place. And so, uh, but I knew that not supporting my wife was going to be the wrong answer altogether. 
So my wife invested in this thing called Mastermind. I thought it was total crap. Here's crabs in a bucket again. Six months later, I hadn't been on one call, didn't commit myself. I blamed it on the fact that I was cleaning carpets every day, but there was the event coming up. I thought, all my friends told me, oh, that guy's not the best guy anyway. You should refund. They were like, I have a $15,000 mastermind. I'll let you in for five grand. And they're like, you should just get your money back. And, and it felt exciting, right? I was like, not taking responsibility again. But as you know, I have mentors like Yost Jansen, who's Navy SEAL, and all these people that taught me about commitment. And my father was like, man, you know what? That's already the wrong thing. So I'm not going to go try to do the right thing by first doing the wrong thing. I can control that. So I remember showing up to this event. I was able to actually share what I did at the event. And I left there with people that believed in me, with plans that I could actually take action on and, and actually utilize. I had community. I had people that were better than me. I was the worst person in the mastermind. They wouldn't even let us join until we begged because we were so broke that they didn't want to deal with our broke asses, basically. They're like, this is way too much risk. And I went there and I did over 20 grand in sales in, in Billion Dollar Body or before that it was True Challenge. Leaving there, I called my dad up, said, dad, I'm sorry, but I can't keep doing this. I can't keep carpet cleaning. I need to go all in. I, it was a few months later that we launched Billion Dollar Body, maybe nine months later. Billion Dollar Body launched in October of 2016. You're almost doing $30,000 a month. By June of the next year, 2017, uh, we had just done our first $100,000 plus month, which was insane. I had, like, I sat there and thought I would have had to work for four years in carpet cleaning to do what we just did in one day. And every single month since that one mastermind, think about how crazy this is. One mastermind, I've continued to invest masterminds and continue to do the things that works, continue to put myself in accountability and continue to do that for other people. I have not had a not profitable month inside of our business since that one mastermind when I was broke carpet cleaner. So it's tough to say that there's one thing because every single thing, even today, podcasts like this keep me on track. As a leader, we set the expectation for every single person in our lives. Every day that's earned. Like I went to the gym today. I, I hadn't gone to the gym for almost two weeks before I moved out to Austin, Texas. I got here and I was about to get on a mastermind call with the Brotherhood. And I thought, who the hell am I to jump on here and be like three-dimensional businessman and not go get a membership right down the street? So I went down and this is my 10th day. And it's like the accountability of the people in my life, the people I serve, the vision that I have, the family that I have, the people like you around me every single day, that every single day I got to check in with. And it's a lot easier as a businessman. The number one killer of a businessman is seclusion. There's people that think that they have to be in the right spot, killing it in their life to be able to be around people. And so they work really hard with all their willpower on their own to get to a certain point, to get around people, something goes wrong and they retreat back in. The other people wait until things are literally already going to freaking crap. They finally ask for help. No one can help them fast enough and they blame it on the community all over again. And as soon as they get back to stability, they run away from it again. The problem is with both of those is those days may never come where you're in the right place. My father went through that. Failing business, claimed bankruptcy in 2009, didn't ask for help, thought things would come back. Still this day really hasn't surrounded himself with those people. I decided not to make those same problems create the same mistakes. And that is the plethora of things that led me to what we do now of transforming businessmen all over the planet and are going to continue to 
until we rule this entire world of men transformational business where every single night people at home are sitting there talking about how they can be three-dimensional in their life, how they can go out there and create the business that allows them to live the life that they want. And that's what we get to do with people like Steve. And I'm grateful to be on podcasts like this with people like him. That is an awesome story. And I, I want to hold up a mirror because I want like connecting the dots, listening to this and connecting the dots. The thing that when you went to that event, what changed for you was the top five people you were around. Again, you changed the people that you were around. You got rid of the people who were like, refund that crap. Don't do that. You're wasting your money. You well, got for like something two and a half years. Earlier. I really avoided people because like, I was like, why would anyone want to hang out with me? I was like, once I kind of get something going, then I'll have something to talk about. Well, two and a half years had gone by and I still had nothing to talk about. Like, yeah. that's, what's crazy. I was literally modeling exactly what my dad had done wrong. Well, the, the other thing that you brought up that I'm really glad that you did, because it's something I want to talk about the tactics of is taking personal responsibility for something like the minute you're hundred percent right. When you start saying, I'm going to take personal responsibility for something, whatever you're stressed about in your life, whatever you're listening to, if you're listening to this and you're like, I have anxiety around X, I can't lose weight. I can't work out. I can't get to the gym. My wife doesn't love me. Like my relationships falling apart, whatever is going on the minute you take personal responsibility and you say, okay, what can I do? What can I personally do right now? And one of the things, one of the things when Nicholas and I met, I went to one of the BDB live events and I was like, I don't know, this guy's kind of good. He's got some interesting things to say. And the thing that, that got me the most was when you started talking about commitments, because we've all been there. I've made commitments all the time. I'm going to do X. I'm going to work out. I'm going to get in the best shape of my life. And it lasts for two or three days. And then something else comes into your life and you get busy or you get tired or you sleep in or you have something that grabs you and you don't stick to it. And Nicholas laid out a framework that was all around commitment and trusting yourself to make good commitments. I'm, Nicholas, can you talk a little bit about that? Because that was one of the best things that I think you ever shared for me personally. Thanks, man. And, and if there's anything specific that I said, again, I like to do things off the cusp. I like things to be fresh. So if I miss something, go ahead and tell me. But there's a few things for me that have been super transformational when it comes to commitment. And these always are changing because as I'm growing, I'm consistently thinking of new things to be able to teach it better. I was not the committed person. So just to put a little bit of context on it, I was the person that when I was in wrestling, when I was in eighth grade going into my freshman year of high school, I was the guy that would, we had to run three miles. I couldn't run three miles. So I would run until like half the people got done. And then I would like walk off with them and not finish the three miles. I was the one that was in the gym and I'd have the workouts. And when the coaches were watching, cause I always wanted approval, right? Like from my dad and the coaches, I'd work super hard. Uh, there was even a thing where you could challenge varsity every single week to take their spot and no one would do it, but I knew it would get attention. So I always challenged yet. I was never fit enough to actually beat them. I bet if I was fit, I would have actually beat them. So I was consistently acting like I was doing all the right things, but behind closed doors, that's actually what's going to be shouted out to the world. What's done when no one's watching. And if you're only seeing what people are doing when they're being watched, that's literally just the smallest little fraction of their life. So I started, I remember being in 18 years old. So this must've been around 2009, 2010. I ended up meeting this guy named Yost Jansen. I went to this business meeting and it was like business people and like a church meeting at the same time. And I remember meeting this guy who just came back from deployment as a Navy SEAL, 6'3", really gnarly looking dude. And he was super impressed 
by me and I started hanging around around this guy and started seeing that he acted different. I spent three and a half years working out with this guy. And one of the things that he taught me was this. He said, everyone thinks that commitment, which by definition, if you want to write this down, is doing what you said you're going to do after the feeling you set it in is gone. Everyone makes commitments when things feel good. Back when Yost was Navy SEAL, one of the big things they would do is they'd be sitting around the campfire feeling all warm and excited. They're like, oh, we're going to get up in the morning early and we're going to go swim over this way. And a lot of people make commitments when they're in the comfort of their own home. They're not in an uncomfortable situation. And then as soon as things get uncomfortable, they end up going back on their commitment because they're like, whoa, this isn't what I expected. Yeah, because you were in a freaking warm place with lots of food, feeling really great about yourself, and you decided to make a commitment to something. And then all of a sudden, when things got hard, we ended up breaking it. I remember him telling me there's two types of commitments. There's the commitments you make to other people. Those commitments are easy to follow through on. Steve said, Nicholas, will you do this podcast today? Well, I have to think about the fact that if I don't show up, Steve's going to be upset. I'm going to leave him hanging. I'm going to break off that commitment. And a lot of people follow through on commitments that they make through to other people because they don't want to let them down. Yet the number one most important commitment that we can make is the commitments to ourselves and how psychologically and how in our subconscious mind, how it affects the way that we do life when we say something like, it's Sunday night. We just ate a bunch of food. Maybe we're even feeling, oh man, I ate too much. Like, you know what? You know what would be great? Like, I'm going to wake up at six tomorrow and I'm going to work out. So we wake up and then we're tired because last night we weren't tired when we made the commitment. But then also we wake up, we're not tired and we end up not doing it. Or maybe we do it that day and then we, we put this another commitment on ourselves. And then all of a sudden it's like, we end up falling off. What ends up happening is now whenever you have a new opportunity come, your subconscious mind is saying, no, you're not. Like, oh, I'm going to go do this workout. It's like, no, you're not. And all of a sudden you have this division inside of yourself because you say you're going to do something, you don't do it, and then your actual self can't trust yourself. And it creates its own demise. And so I remember actually seeing this, the way I learned commitment was from this guy. A few different things I worked, learned from it was one, I saw him walking his dog one day, which was, he had this huge dog. And he got on the skateboard and because he's a Navy SEAL, he has all these cameras in his house. So he plays back this camera of him riding a skateboard with his dog off a curb. He gets wheel bite, which is when your wheel hits the skateboard and stops suddenly. And then all of a sudden, he stops suddenly on his face on the concrete. Bloody face. Gets up, gets on the skateboard. All of a sudden, 15 minutes later, you see him come back on the camera. And then he goes and washes himself off. I'm sitting there like, you got to be kidding me. If I fell and face planted, bloodied up my face. The first thing I'm doing is saying F the dog, going inside, cleaning up, and the dog can go take a crap in the backyard and run around. This guy was so big on completing the things that he had started that he finished walking the dog. It had just become a piece of who he was. I remember working out with him for three and a half years. I sat there. We wrote up workouts on the board. We'd think of new things. Be like, oh, let's do this. Like, yeah, let's do it. We'd be an hour in, halfway done, because we were freaking dumb with thinking about the workout. And I'm like, oh, that was great, man. Like an hour is like what I usually do. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, that was the best workout I've ever done. He's like, no, no, no. Like finish the workout. But I already did more work than I normally do. And he's like, no, finish the workout. And then afterwards, you can choose next time not to do that. But you chose this time to do it. And you're going to screw yourself mentally if you allow yourself off the hook to not complete this. Because one, you'll make big commitments, so people might want to write this down. People make such big commitments to themselves and other people that they never fill on because they know they can get out of it. What happens when you follow through on a commitment that's hard? 
is you learn your lesson to not make the commitment again. It's okay not to make commitments. Yet when you make them, you're better off going through with them and learning your lesson than you are from letting yourself off the hook. And then the second thing is the psychology of being able to get through these hard things and be able to make it through the other side. And so altogether, the things that I had learned from him was that, man, if, if someone says, meet me at this location, we're going to be there for the other people. But we tell ourselves these things and we think, oh, you know, I'll just go to the gym at three, actually. Oh, I'll push it back. Oh, I could do these other things. And we put everyone else's priorities above our own. Is there anything that I missed there, Steve, that you want me to touch on? Because there's a few different other things that I could go down. Yet, commitment is doing what you said you were going to do after the feeling you said it in is past. It's probably one of the most important things. I'll say the last thing about Tony Robbins that I think is really impactful for me. And it served me right. Because the number one thing that people look for in a company that they buy from, someone they do business with, is someone who's consistent and they can rely upon. And when I asked my friend, uh, Dan Fleshman, he owns about 31 companies, a portion of it. He's the youngest person to ever uh, go public, publicly traded company, create a publicly traded company. And basically what he said, I asked him, man, how do you find these partners in 31 companies? Like, what do you look for? And all the things were things that you can control. They had nothing to do with skill sets. That was like the secondary thing. Everything was about integrity, commitment, follow through. And I was like, you can control all those things though. This doesn't make any sense. Like why are other people failing? Yeah, because they don't walk in those things and they create the very self-sabotage that they're afraid of. So when I looked at Tony Robbins, Tony Robbins always said something that stuck out to me, which was make decisions while you're in state so that when you're out of state, you don't back out on these decisions. I thought, what does that really mean? Most people in their life, they make their most important decisions when they're in a weak state. They're like, man, I feel terrible today. Today's a terrible day. I can't believe I invested in that coaching program. I need to get out. And they start making their decisions to shape their life from their least powerful state that they're in rather than looking back on why did I make that commitment when I was in a powerful state? And I'm not allowing myself now, I'm going to put boundaries around not making commitments when I'm in a not powerful state, like saying, you know what? I haven't drank alcohol in three months, but I feel really crappy right now. I think I'm going to change that decision. No, you probably should keep going and wait till you're back in a powerful state so that you can make another powerful decision. So Tony Robbins, when he says this, I have many of my guys do this. I even have them do it at our masterminds. When we're halfway through the year or, or three quarters through the year at our masterminds, I say, hey, how do you guys feel right now? Amazing. If it wasn't about anything like money or time, when, would you guys want to keep going in this program forever? Like, yeah, of course. I'm like, cool. For the people that feel comfortable, put down a deposit for next year for yourself. Because I'm sure things will happen in between now and then. But while you're in a powerful state and you're seeing clearly your vision and what's possible and not what's impossible, make that decision. So that when you're out of state later, you can look back at when you made the decision and why you made it. And you can be kept accountable through your commitments to following through on the decision that you made and then figuring out afterwards whether you want to make that same decision again. And I found far often, more times than not, following through on those commitments is far more rewarding than whatever it would cost you to stay inside the commitments that you did, aka training for the race, doing the workout, making the monetary investment, following through on that, far more effective. And that's something that we can actually physically control in our life. And I talk a lot about doing the right thing rather than doing the wrong thing to succeed. To me, I'm like, man, I already know that I can control the commitment and the follow through. Am I perfect on it? Absolutely not. 
I continually have to repent. People think repent's like a crazy word because it's like some Catholic priest is like behind closed doors and you're telling him something. Repent just means to change direction. Like I go, okay, I caught myself there. I'm stopping that and I'm getting back on track. And that's the decision people can make right now. The second thing is making smaller commitments. Make commitments that you can actually follow through on. Say, I want to show up to the gym five days this week. Not, I want to work out and do all these workouts and get all this stuff done and run 10 miles. No, just run. Just eat healthy. Start stacking momentum of things that you can control that are simple. When, when I helped people lose weight, number one thing I'd have them do is do box breathing in the morning. Boom, checked off in a couple minutes. And hydrate. Boom, checked off, easy to do. Even if it's 10 o'clock at night, they could still chug a gallon of water. They'll pee all night, but at least they'll learn their lesson. But they can do it. And all of a sudden, it creates this momentum where they're like, I want to go to the gym. I didn't have to be like, you need to go to the gym and then do all these other things. What happens is we end up putting the hardest commitments, the hardest things to do, we make them have all the weight. And so they're easy to fail and they're the hardest to do and they're usually the least effective. Instead, do the most effective things, breathing, hydration, sleep, nutrition, and relate this to business and then exercise. So I don't put all the weight on. If I don't go to the gym, then I'm going to eat like crap. That's what most people do. They don't go to the gym. So they think, well, I'll just start tomorrow. And while I'm at it, I might as well eat ice cream and not do any of the things I normally do. Rather, I have people focus on the things that are easy, create the most amount of results and create the most amount of momentum. Now they just want to go to the gym because they feel so damn good. And if we do the same thing in business, start with these small commitments. We start building trust with ourselves again. We stop making commitments that we don't want. But even when we do, hey, we follow through with them. We've stayed consistent with ourselves. We've built rapport with everyone around us that we'll continue to do it. Yost told a story, and this will be the last one, that I never have told, maybe I've told one time ever because it's about me and I don't really like this story being told about me because the way that it was done. But I quit carpet cleaning. I was growing BDB. And Yost, old ex-mother-in-law, gave me a call one day because I had put in carpet in her house. She's like, I need my carpets cleaned. And I was like, no problem. When is a good time? I'll call the office. I'll have them set it up for you. And my dad will have someone come and clean the carpet. So all of a sudden, I get a call a few weeks later. Nicholas, my dog's in daycare and it's five o'clock at night and still nobody showed up. And I'm like, oh, crap. So I call my dad and he goes, oh, like, we totally messed up and missed her thing on the schedule, but like, we're already done for the day. So I'm like an hour away from my dad's house and another 45 minutes to her house afterwards. And I'm sitting there at the beach with my wife, 5 PM sunsets coming down. And I'm like, Hey honey, like jump in the car. We got to go. I drove an hour down to my dad's house. I picked up his carpet cleaning van. I got to her house at nine o'clock at night, cleaned all of her carpets drove my dad's van back. My wife and I got in the car and we drove all the way back up to my house. And the biggest thing about that was that, and now it's kind of sucks because it feels like shooting my own horn, but I know my own, like it's been a long time since that. I didn't, I got home and it wasn't until months later, Yost was talking to his mother-in-law, ex-mother-in-law and said, she said, oh yeah, Nicholas came out and cleaned my carpets. You wouldn't believe it. He set up the appointment. No one did. And he came all the way down. And I talked to Yost all the time. And the thing that was most effective was that not that I just followed through on the commitment, that's what was great to me, but that it was done in the right way, that that blew Yost's mind more than anything. Came to the first year live event and he told that story. I had never heard it. And 
at the time I wanted a few years to go by before I shared it. Yeah, I share it as a principle that one, I followed through, I made things right with her and I didn't have to make it a thing that everyone else had to know about because I got my benefit. And little did I know afterwards, all the benefit came as well. Reminds me of Tony Robbins' story of his friend in LA that cleaned up the trash for the real estate deal, never sold real estate, sold 1.8 million in like 18 months, and then still sells all the homes in that zip code to this day, 40 something years later, all because of one thing done correctly that changed everything. And so that to me is the definition of commitment. And that's what I try to live my life doing. That's, those are awesome, awesome stories and awesome takeaways. Um, I want to, the one thing that I want you to share is when people, like the biggest thing that was big for me when you told the story was start with something small, rebuild some trust with yourself. Totally. Because if, if, if you try to do too big, right? If you're like, I'm going to do the workout and it's three hours long and I'm going to get in the best shape ever. You're making that commitment while you're super, while you're sitting on the couch and it's easy. And then you're going to go do it. And then you're going to tell a story that allows you to not finish it. You're going to be like, oh, it's too hard. Everyone will understand. What are, what's like one or two really good tactical things that people can implement to start keeping their commitments, even if they're small commitments, so that they can learn to trust themselves again? So there's a few things that I like to do. And number one is I want to figure out outcomes. So what are the outcomes that you want to get out of these commitments? Because when I look at commitments and I look at making a decision, when I relook at them, I ask myself, if I take responsibility, am I supposed to just stop doing this? Because sometimes we do things that just don't matter. Like the reason you're not committed to it is because it doesn't matter. Stop having it bog you down. Stop doing it. Quit. Stop. Doesn't matter. So number one is that. Two, do I need support with this? Do I not understand how to do it? Or do I need someone to teach me how to do it? Or three, do I need someone else to do it? And maybe this isn't even something I'm supposed to do. So when I take the responsibility, even if someone else is supposed to do it, I'm fine with that. I'm still taking responsibility for it getting done. The next step from there is figuring out outcomes. What am I really trying to do from this? And I usually like to look at things at what, why, how. I'll try to look at what I want, why do I want it, and how do I get it? And as long as those three align, I know that I'm going to have proper motivation to be able to get it. Because if it doesn't matter, I want it, but I don't really care about it, and it's really hard to get I'm probably not going to do it. And I'd rather not beat myself up and create shame in my life because I won't work really, really hard to get something that I don't want. So getting really, really clear on those what, why, hows until they all align where your why is at a point where you're like, I want this enough to do the work that it takes to be able to get there. So often we have these expectations on ourselves. I've had these guys that, man, I want to look like this person, this bodybuilder. And I can really commit to like at least three to four days a week of 30 minutes of exercise. I'm like, you're what you want, why you want it, and the how you get there, they're not aligning because you're expecting to get this result out of 30 minutes of work. So I bring that back a little bit and I go, well, maybe you're just expectations wrong. So you're beating yourself up with all these commitments that you're making because you're putting in the work, but you're not getting the results. So you're always discouraged. Let's bring back, what do you really want? And I started thinking, man, even for me running a business, I don't want to spend two hours a day in the gym. I want to run my business. I want to be healthy. I want to be lean. I want to be strong. I want to make progress. And so all of a sudden I start setting real true goals where I'm like, this is where I want to be. And I have a reason why I want to be there and it optimizes me and I'll actually do the work and the work aligns with the thing that I actually want. And then I bring it back to actions. The number one problem that people have with commitments is they think they commit to outcomes. You don't commit to outcomes. 
the number one thing in, in sports or business is that you can't run around the gym saying, I want to lose 60 pounds. Oh, 60 pounds, 60 pounds, 60 pounds. Like that isn't how it works. That's what you do at the house when you're getting motivated, making your commitments and all these things. But you, you make the commitment. You're like, this is where I want to be. Great. Have you or an expert build you a plan? Do the plan. And I always ask people, could you go to the gym for a day? Could you hydrate for a day? Could you make your follow-up calls just for a day? Just for one day. I don't care about the rest of your life. Could you follow up with people for a day? Could you make calls for a day? Could you set up systems for a day? And they're like, oh yeah, dude, I could definitely do that. And I'm like, cool, just like do it that over and over again then. Because you only need to make it through the day. And you don't need to go out there and go after all these big tangible outcomes. I, I need to make this much money by the end of the day. Oh, I broke my commitment. I'm a piece of crap. No, the actions that you took are what created the results. And if we could break it back down into simple things, making sure the outcomes that your actual work is going to get you the outcome and the outcome that you have and the plan line up and you can start focusing on the plan going forward because those are all things that you can tangibly do and take back into your own hands. Also writing out what can I do in this moment? So when I write down a, a plan for someone, let's say to hydrate, we set the boundaries. Maybe find a friend that can help you set the boundaries. If you do not do this, then this is your repercussion. And have a friend that will take a repercussion as well if you don't do it. The opposite side is if you do do it, even if the outcome isn't perfect, you do all the you you commit to doing the process, you get something for yourself as well. And inside of this place, this is where you all of a sudden start having this massive motivation to be able to do the things you want to do. Because now you have a structure around you. Like it's so interesting to me that people will go out there and they'll try to make commitments and never tell anyone. And they try to make commitments and they make them super hard and outcome oriented. And no one knows about them and they have no repercussions and all the rewards. And they just try to figure out like, once I hit the goal, then I'll share it with everyone. That's how I was. It's like, well, that's why I'm not hitting the goal. It's because I'm too scared to be held accountable because I don't trust myself. Great. Take it back, take it into small steps. If you're drinking water, it's like, hey, this is the water I need you to drink every single day. If you don't do it, this is your repercussion. And if it's 10 o'clock at night, I need you to check in, tell me you didn't do the water, and then chug all the water. And pee all night, and then you'll have a repercussion there. And then tomorrow, it's a new day, and we're going to do it over again. And I try to make sure that everything in the beginning are actions that can be done, that can be done right now, and they can be done in a short period of time. And that way, that if... It's the end of the day. We could still check them all off the box. That's, I love that. Like always wind back your actions. Like first you commit to the actions, not to the outcome. The outcome is what gets you there. If you commit to the actions, I think there are some people who would say, well, what if, what if I don't know what actions to take? How would you tell them to set up the actions? If they're either hire an expert or they need to work on a plan themselves. Yeah. So there's two things. Every action creates a result. People are a lot smarter than they think. Don't give me that freaking BS about, oh, I don't know what to do. Okay, great. Well, let's do this then. What do you think you should do? And do it. Like, we're well, not talking about outcomes. Like, do, excellence is this. Perfectionism is expecting a guarantee in a world that gives no guarantees. Not going to happen. Excellence is doing the very best that you can with your current skills, talents, abilities, and network right now, giving that to whatever situation that you're in. 
So if you have someone you can call, well, that's giving excellence because you have that contact. But based on your current skills, talents, abilities, network, knowledge base right now, make a decision. Try it out. Then go get help. But if you saw me, I did $20,000 in sales and then went to $100,000. That is not very impressive, yet it was progress. Did I, was I really that much smarter? No, I just actually started writing out every day what I thought I should do to make $285 a day. And then I was like, all right, I'm winning. I'm, I'm making progress, but I'm doing this the hard way. I'm making, I have like 10 income streams that are all doing tiny little bits of things and I'm split everywhere. So then I'm like, well, maybe I should get some help. Yet so often people think I'm not doing anything. I don't know what to do. So I'm going to hire someone to tell me what to do. Dude, you're already going to fail because you don't even know how to do. Go do. Then go hire someone. Go a week in the gym and do what you think you can do. And then earn hiring someone. Go make calls. Try to close people. Do the actions. Fail a little bit. Then hire someone. I always try to figure out how can I earn this? So when I got into motocross, I was like, all right. Like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to ride this many days a week. And after I do that, then I'll get this next thing. Like, often for me, I'm always thinking about, all right, based on my current skills, knowledge, base, and ability, I'm going to do what I can. Like, if I was to go surf right now, the first thing I would do is I'd go, all right, I could either buy the best surfboard in the world or I could get a cheaper surfboard. And after I surf seven times, then I'm going to go buy the nice board because I'm not going to allow myself to go out there and do all these other things without first committing myself to the process. So what I would say is that everyone has a idea of what they should do. If they were coaching someone else, I'm sure they'd give them an idea. Now it's time to take action on the ideas. That's called excellence. Give it your very best that you can. And if you have access to people, then go get them. But if you can't create results on your current knowledge base, then something is just wrong and you're just not doing it. I promise you right now that you're smart enough, you know enough, and you've heard enough, even in this podcast, to create a result in every single area of your life, a better result. Is it the best? Probably not. Yet I bet you can make forward momentum so that when you go out there and ask the coach, you're not in paralysis. A car, even if, it's, even if you move the wheels, steer the wheel of the car. If it's not moving, it's not going to go anywhere. So uh, like, I love what you're saying. You're preaching to the choir. I want to annihilate some people's false beliefs because I know people out there are listening and they're like, well, I, I try to take action and, and I start reading stuff and then I buy like five books and then I watch a bunch of videos and then I get confused and I don't know what to do and I can't even formulate a plan. So I don't take action and then I just forget about it and I eat some ice cream. Yeah. I would say quit. You don't, you know, you're, you're living someone else's life. You don't want it. That's what I would say. You just need to stop. Well, what about the people that, that are just like, they don't have enough belief in themselves to even take action. Like when you were overweight, right? Let's go back to the very beginning of the story. When you were overweight, you didn't know how to go to the gym. You didn't know how to eat better. And you just felt like all this weight and anxiety and pain around it. How do you get rid of that enough to be able to just take the first step forward? Because I think what you touched on right before this was, you just have to take a step forward. It's not going to be perfect, but take a step, get into some momentum, and then the next step is easier. But what do you say to the person that just can't figure out how to take that first step? I tell them to quit. That's what I tell them to do. I just straight up, stop. You don't have to be healthy. 
You don't have to create a business. You don't have to get married. You don't have to stay married. You don't have to do any of this stuff. So just stop. Quit doing things. Give up. And generally the response is, well, I don't want to. I want this stuff. I want to do this, this, and this. And then I go, great. Well, then let's freaking do it. And there has to be that decision made. And sometimes it takes that different angle to be able to create it. Just, dude, stop. I, I knew that I should walk and I knew that I should eat less than I was eating of corn dogs and freaking pizzas. I just was not doing it. And the next thing is, what's something that you can do to commit yourself to doing it? They say, where your money is, your heart is also. Where your money goes, your energy flows. Go make an investment in yourself. This was very interesting. So our last live event at B2B Live was a lot about identity. And I didn't expect it to be about that. I thought like, man, this can be for the businessman. But all of a sudden it was really big. My mentor Yost came up and said, your why doesn't matter. And that was crazy. It was like, what do you mean my why doesn't matter? Like tons of people, they, they love their family and they have lung cancer and they won't quit smoking. There's people that are obese and they really, really want to run with their kids, but they won't stop eating freaking McDonald's. They have all the whys in the world, but they haven't had an identity shift. And then what even put, hammered it in even more is Russell Brunson came and spoke to the mastermind and also to the event. And he spoke about how he had bought this bike, like $15,000 bike, hanging up in his garage and he never had used it. And he decided one day, he's like, man, I want to be a biker, like, which it's actually called a cyclist. Bikers are like Harley Davidson, but that's Russell for you. And this just hammered it for me big time is he sat there, he had the equipment, he wanted to do it, but for some reason he wasn't pedaling the bike. And so finally, he was like, you know what? I'm, what do bikers do? Where do they go? How do they act? What do they have? And he went online and he bought like the shoes and the spandex and the water bottle and the helmets and all these different things. And he fitted him in all this stuff. And he goes, I am a biker. Cyclist, Russell, but he says he's a biker. And he's been riding bikes every single day because he had changed his identity around the subject and he had suited himself. So maybe it's, order the shoes. I remember that's a big thing for people. It's like, get the running shoe. Like we actually had a guy inside of elite that was running and he hated running. He thought running was stupid. And he went and ordered shoes because he saw a good runner and he said, I'm going to order the shoes. You look at the sand lot, like kids used to wear those PF flyers because like that kid used to run fast with the shoes. Yeah, yeah. The kids would put on the shoes and they felt like they could run fast and it motivated them. So put yourself in an environment of what would this person do? Take on the identity of this new person. Because my identity now, if I were to eat unhealthy, that would be the healthy of years ago. Because my identity has shifted. What is now unhealthy and what's considered healthy is drastically different than before. Success. I thought that if you made $10,000 a month, you were a god. Now, it, like, that, that is unvaluable. That doesn't even cover your bills. Not even close, dude. Like, not even a third. And so, not yet, yeah, not even close. So, now looking at that, Success and failure has changed. But the big thing was, is that who do you want to be? And change your identity around it. If you want to be finding your identity and being broke or out of shape or overweight or, or not able to be in a great relationship, then great. But what are the people doing? Where do they go? How do they act? Start taking in on the identity of the traits that you want. And I believe that step, that, that's a huge step that people can take. I think that the, who are the people that you trust that have gotten results before? And I say trust because the best people in the world you may not work well with, might not be right fit. Yet someone you trust and is really good at what they do, go hire them. I remember in 
that right before COVID lockdown, I had been following one of my friends because I had just had a baby. My wife did at least, and I was around the baby a lot. I didn't have the baby. And my son was born and all of a sudden working out five days a week was not like my biggest priority hour a day. That's what my regiment was like hour and 15 a day, five days a week. And I was like, this is not going to work. I had another friend that taught three days a week, 45 minutes. And I thought, well, the results are good. That would actually work really well. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Great. So I was kind of watching from a distance. I had known him for two years and for two months I sat there and thought about this program but never really did it. So one day I wake up and I'm like, you know what? Like things have gotten worse. I haven't been working out as much. I need to commit to something new. I don't want to write my own program. I just want to get something and just follow it. So finally I invest. It was only like 650 bucks. I invest in this at-home workout program. And that day I went through all the trainings and I felt like a completely different person. That was just the shift that I needed. I was like, all right, like that was the breakthrough. I was waiting for that. And I sat there and thought about it and thought, man, you know what? Even though I got this pretty quick, I could have done this two months ago, but I waited till things got worse and worse and worse and worse. Till I'm at the worst place now, and now I finally take action two months later, where it could have been a smooth transition from when my son was born, invest in the program, and been right on the different regiment. But I just allowed life to get worse and worse and worse. And how often do we allow life to get worse and worse and worse and worse to the point where we're like, I don't even want to invest in something because I don't even know it would work. Think about me with carpet cleaning. I'd invested in the event, done the things, failed, carpet clean, and the longer I went, the more stingy I got. $30 to pay for parking. No, I'm not going to do that. So finally, it got to the point where I was sitting there cleaning carpets going, I'm never going to get to my dream life. I need to do something dramatic and different. $5,000, $15,000, $30,000, $50,000 investments later, and my breakthrough came. And each time shifted my identity. And as you can see with what we do inside of BDB, the number one difference that men get that changes everything right off the bat, when Douglas James joined and joined in BDB Elite and he made $839,000 in his first three months without even talking to anyone, like he didn't even ask for help, was because he had an identity shift. When, when Steve's seeing all these new guys in right now and they're like, oh, I did this workout. Oh, I, I did a million dollars in eight weeks. Oh, I did this thing and I made my first sale. The only difference so far is the identity shift. They say, this is who I am. I am a three-dimensional businessman. I'm an elite level businessman. This is how we make decisions. This is how I show up every single day. This is how I communicate and have accountability. And their identity is shifted. And so with that identity shift, they act differently. And so if you're not willing to make the investments in order to get to where you want to be, then you just don't want to be there bad enough. Uh, a guy with 750,000 followers today reached out to me for help on Instagram, fitness influencer. And he said that he'd been talking to a few people about running his business, but they wanted to take a percentage of the back end sales, meaning he didn't feel comfortable with them taking money from his company forever. And he thought that he was winning by not doing this and he's not making anywhere near the money that he should. And I sent him a message and I said, you look at what you would lose if that 3% was taken from you. I look at the fact that you've been thinking about this for two years and all the sales that you've missed out on that have cost you far more than that 3% will probably ever cost you ever in your life. The guy's like, holy crap. I've never thought about the fact that as I've been procrastinating in indecision, it's actually still been costing me, costing me happiness, breakthrough, people's results, everything. So ask yourself right now, 
what is this indecision costing me truly? What is not investing myself costing me? What is not putting myself out there? What is it truly costing me? And you'll find that the cost is actually a lot less to invest, to get help than it is to keep doing things on your own. That is, I think that's probably the best advice. Like, think about that. Think about what you have to do. Figure out how you can move forward. I want, I want you to finish with a story because I think this is the most powerful story. I, I, and I have, I have selfish reasons for it. Those of you who are listening to this, you know, I used to hold live events all the time uh, and COVID I can't. But one of the things that really impressed me about Nicholas before I ever knew him, I had heard the story about how he wanted to hold a live event to launch B2B. He felt this huge passion and like, to be flat honest, holding a live event is hard. Filling a room is one of the hardest things. And everyone thinks that it's going to be super easy. It's one of the things that I coach on. It's one of the things that I've helped hundreds of people with. But Nicholas's story around this sums up everything that we have talked about on this podcast about taking action, about setting measurable goals, and about staying committed um, I'm going to let Nicholas tell the story because it is awesome. I just pick it up where like you decided you wanted to hold the event. You knew that it was important to you. What did you do from there? Totally. So to give a little bit of context, I had ran billion dollar body and became a coach helping men lose weight. And I was at this point where I was making about 35,000 ish dollars a month on average, some bigger, some smaller, but the average was right around that point. And I was on calls all the time and I was just sitting there thinking, man, I'm on calls with all these guys and I'm just not helping them. They, we talked two months about, biz, or about health. That just shows how much I talk about business now. Two months about health. And then the rest of it's like we're going through their business so that they can have time to work out and we're going through their relationship because it's struggle. And I saw that there was three core areas that men couldn't outsource was health, wealth, and relationships. I didn't know they were the three core markets. I had no clue. I thought I like discovered this. I'm like, well, if they have their health in check, then they can spend time with their family and if their family's in check, then it gives them motivation and, and gives them nothing that holds them back from the business. So I'm like, that's what I want to do. Build a brotherhood. The best way to achieve that is through brotherhood. This is something that's missing from our society. And I was so scared. I thought it was going to be five years away. So my wife, everything we've done has been like based on, we have this like inspiration and we just do it. My wife had a dream that we started a podcast in 2015 and we started one. And we've hit number one and you would know worthy and went down to number 34 in the country in health, education, and business. And it all started from that dream and we just did it. So my wife had a similar type thing where she's like, I think we need to hold a live event. And I was like, all right, maybe 20 people. She's like, no, like you need to do a hundred. And I'm like, all right, like, I don't think I could do a hundred, but that sounds great. It sounds more measurable to get these 20 people in. And I started thinking about like, this is the perfect way to transition into what I actually want to do with the brotherhood. I'll get the people in the room. It'll be long enough for them to understand what it's all about. I'll launch something new inside of it. And then they'll go home as these little ambassadors, like a hundred ambassadors that are just like wearing the shirts and living the lifestyle and an incubator to see them go forward in the mission, like a whole year in just a couple of days. And so I'm planning this event and I was like, well, but I'm so scared to make the transition. I don't want to do this health stuff. That's not what I'm about. I had a health transformation. I'm a business guy and I'm not truly helping the people to the capacity I want to. None of them know each other. As soon as they get done working with me, they just go back to their old friends and they are healthier than before, but they kind of just become average Joes again, running their companies, hanging out with their friends, drinking beers and eating salads. And so I got to the point where I spoke to my friend, Alex Hermosi, Brandon Poulin, 
Jim Launch and, and Lady Boss CEOs. And they were like, Nicholas, like this brotherhood thing, you need to do it. And I was so nervous, dude. Like, I was so nervous to speak about it at the event. I was so scared to share it because I thought, what if it fails? Why would people buy into this brotherhood where they have access to my network and access to these guys and this business topics? And I just couldn't see it. I thought, well, I help men lose weight. That's simple. Everyone understands it. They're like, no, you need to do it. So I create this offer, $12,000 and $10,000 offer, depending on the payment plan at the time. And I thought, this is where I'm going to launch. If I get one person... I'll just freaking make everyone feel like assholes for not paying me. And I'm going to just dominate it with that one person. If I get 10, I'll be happy. And if I get 25, I'll literally crap myself. And so, and I, I told everyone, I was like, I'll literally poop in my pants and show you guys if I get these 25 people. And so I just remember going, like promoting this event. I'm leading up to it. And I held this meetup that was to get guys together. And truthfully, it was to get guys locally that would buy a ticket to the event. So we're all talking about our commitments at this BDB meetup, which is interesting because one of our guys, Nicholas Elliott, that just hit a million dollars in eight weeks, he came to that meetup. That's where we met. So I'm at this dinner. We're sitting there and Nick's there and a bunch of these other guys. And I talk about, I'm committed to putting 15 hours a week into promoting BDB Live. And someone who had ran events before looked at me and was like, that's not how it works, dude. Like you need to go all in. So all of a sudden it hit me. I'm like, not that far away from the event. I only had about 10 people signed up for it at, it was about $500 on average per ticket. So I have these 10 people, but I have these speakers like Cole Hatter, all my network. I asked all of them to come out and I freaked out, dude. I was sitting there like, what am I going to do? If 10 people show up, all the speakers are going to hate me forever. And they're going to reject me and be like, this guy's a loser for telling me there's gonna be a hundred people here. Freaked out. And I'm like, all right. And then the other side is that 10 people come to the event and they're all spaced out across the room like, hey, what are you doing over there? Good to see you. And they realize that they just got duped on this amazing event and no one showed up. That freaked me out, dude. I legitimately got in my phone and started messaging, texting, calling everyone. I sold 81 tickets plus sponsors and everything came out to right around 100. Uh, the sponsors got to buy spots and then bring people with them. And I remember going to this event I was so freaked out leading up to it. And not only that, I was making the biggest transition in my business I'd ever made up to that point. I had already, seven months prior, gone men exclusive. Only men could buy from us. And then now I'm launching something that was supposed to be launched five years later. It's supposed to be launched in, yeah, like, I, like 2021 or 2022, 2021. So five years later, like next year was when the Brotherhood was supposed to launch. And so I go up on stage and I create this offer that I think is just going to kill it. I'm like, this is exactly what they want. And this is what I've been hearing on the calls from all these guys. Like, and I, I coached over 600 guys in health, one, like on the phone. So I'm like, I know this. Like, I know exactly what they want and what they need. And I go up there and I first talk of the event here. Think about this. I go on stage. No one's been there before. Hey, guys, I'm Nicholas. Pitched him. The very first talk. And 11 people bought right there, 16 by the end of the day, 25 all sold out by the end of the weekend. And I was like, oh my gosh. And that's what launched the first BDB Elite year. And then year after year, we just took it to that next level. And we've consistently every year, besides this year, this is one of the easiest years we've ever done. We've had something go wrong that has just a, caused us to have to go to the next level. I think you remember even, Steve, that the second year, if I could just touch on this, is that I ended up opening more spots, 40 spots, but now the investment was 15,000 per person or more with a payment plan. I get up there on stage. I'm going to pitch it again. I think, dude, I'm going to kill it. This is going to be amazing. 
I get up on stage, I pitch, and during the, the intro to my talk, all the power goes out. So no one knows who I am, okay? So then I start teaching, power goes out. I never know when it's going to come back on. And I'm like, this, I have Jay Abraham here. I have all these people. I don't know what to do. So I go way over time. I go from the first session all the way to lunch, just with my talk, buying time, all this different crap. And then all of a sudden, the power comes back on. I start going through my pitch. Power goes off. No one knows what's going on. And I'm sitting there freaking out, like, what am I supposed to do? So I get off the stage. Everyone breaks for lunch, so no one goes and buys anything except for the one guy that was a sponsor the year before that kind of felt bad for me. And he was like, I know that this is going to be good. So I'll go, I'll go do it. So I had one guy. I only had a two day event at the time. So I go to bed that night and I literally was thinking I'd rather get hit by a bus. I'd rather throw up crap on the floor, roll around in it, than feel how I feel right now. That would feel a lot better to me. And in that moment, I started thinking again, I go, well, I could complain to the hotel because it was their restaurant that was taking power on the same wall on the other side. That's why when we checked it the night before, there was no restaurant in the middle of the night. It's like I could complain to them and get all my money back and try to figure out how to salvage this thing and I figure out, out a way to get out of it rather than get through it, right? We talked about walk through the valley. I, I wanted to like run away from the valley and like find a way around it. Or I could just give excellence and do everything I, I could possible. One application that first day. I remember going out the second day and just, was like, what can I do? Well, we had a time where we had to give awards to the guys who had made progress. So I go, after these awards, I'm going to just kind of give another slight talk again and just kind of do go after it again. Second day, went up there, saw, people saw the transformation of the brotherhood. They had all the power gone out with all the other days. One of the projectors shorted out, terrible. And I think I left that day with like 48 applications and filled up the entire event or filled up all of late. And, and that was a really stressful week going home with 48 applications when I was supposed to be done with the event. Yet I had the opportunity again to either partner with the failure and look at how I could get out of it, ask the hotel, which would have made me not really focus on serving at the event and doing it really well. Or I didn't ever say anything to the hotel. I just kept doing it. I just kept going and killed it. And it's so interesting that those are the small decisions that we make that change everything. You know, even with this last event, like I didn't know how it was going to go. And it was one of the easiest events when it's once it went, but it was a virtual event. You know, it was, it was interesting to promote. It was hard with COVID changing everything. And again, when the lights turned on and the camera was rolling, I only had one object objective, which was freaking crush this event. That's it. This is going to be the best no matter what. And that's how it is when I flip on the camera, when I get on the podcast, every time it does not matter because I know that I can control me and how I show up. I don't care if one person listens. I don't care if I go Facebook live and no one jumps on. I'm like, I'm getting better. And that's what's going to make me blow up. I'm going to give it all. And if I get one person, I'm going to dominate, make everyone feel like an asshole. If I get 10, I'll be happy. If I get 25, I'll be whatever. I've already come to terms with if I fail, I'm fine. Because I know I'm going to make it. Because I've already seen the beginning from the end. And that commitment, when you tap into where you want to be and you already see it, dude, it's really difficult to fail. I'm like, I already know where I'm going. So I don't, no matter what happens, I don't care. I've already seen the beginning from the end. I already know I get there, so I'm not afraid of anything.
I've already come to grips with all the losses. I've already come to grips dying, whatever, doesn't matter. I'm like, whatever happens, happens, dude. I've already played the scenario and I'm ready to walk through it. That is, that is awesome to, to just recap what you're saying. It's like, take re personal responsibility. Don't tell yourself the story that you're a failure or that it's okay that you don't complete it. Just walk through it, finish it, do what you say you're going to do. And success is in that. Like it will come to you because you are doing what you're saying you're going to do. Yeah, and, and one thing I learned from the Navy SEALs as well that I got to spend a lot of time with was at the end, that's when you do your lessons learned. You know, I noticed that even with, with golf or surfing or any of these things, you don't practice while you're in the game. You think about, all right, what do I want to do better in my swing? And you go to the, you go to the driving range and you practice and you, you think of all these things, but then when you go on the course, you only think about one thing different. What's one thing that I want to do on this course? And you swing with muscle memory. And so when you go up on stage or you hit live, one thing you want to work on, great. And then when you get off the stage and you're done for the day, you can go back through what they call lessons learned. What did I learn from this? And you file it away as a new standard operating procedure for next time. Next time, don't let the power go out. Good lesson. But if you don't write it down, you'll forget. So you look at, what did I do really well at? What do I need help with? Then you focus on those things in between the events. Then when you're back on stage, it's time to go. It's not time to think, all right, how am I supposed to frame this talk? And how am I supposed to do that while you're on stage? No, dude, that's what practicing was for. But when you're in the game, you don't think about, oh, is my elbow in Can, when I shoot this basketball? No, you practice that and practice. And when you're in the game, you don't think about anything. You play. Awesome. And I think that's a really big deal for people. Nicholas, you have shared a wealth of knowledge, mindset tips, ways to be responsible, and ultimately ways for people to find success. Uh, where can people learn more about you, more about the Brotherhood, and what you're doing? Perfect, man. So if they're on Facebook, they can check out the Billion Dollar Brotherhood Facebook group, which actually when they join, I'll share with them how they get a free book from me, my best-selling book, Modern Day Businessman. I'll ship it for free and everything. So what they're going to want to do is type in the Billion Dollar Brotherhood. If they're a man, request to join the group. If not, the next thing is Nicholas Baird on Instagram. Send me a DM. And also you can check out all of our podcasts on BillionDollarBody.com. Awesome. Nicholas, thank you so much for sharing with us. For those of you listening, I know we covered a ton in this podcast. You're going to want to go back and listen to pieces of it again. If you want to see the videos, go on YouTube. These videos will be there. They'll be broken down into bite-sized chunks. Until next time, guys, take action, change lives, and make money. I'll see you soon. Thanks for tuning into today's show. Are you looking for a way to produce powerful content that creates quality leads and can scale your business from 3K to 10K and beyond? If so, head over to storiesthatscale.com and pick up your free templates today. These free templates will show you the five core stories that will help your business scale that you can tell across social media, email, and YouTube. Anywhere you need content, these templates will help you out and they're free at storiesthatscale.com. Or if you know you want my help building out your content and monetization strategy, head over to steven.coffee and book my time today. Till next time, take action, change lives, and make money. I'll see you soon. Thank you.